This is Faux Real, a podcast where I chat with indie filmmakers about their filmmaking processes, their inspirations, and what their stories mean to them. And I'm your host, Dawn Borchardt. On this week's episode, I get to talk to the filmmaking duo behind the documentary, Godspeed Los Polacos. They're a super fun pair, and I had a lot of fun chatting with them. We get to talk about their sense of adventure that really matches the subjects of their film, some of the more technical nuances behind the scenes, and their Polish roots. Hey, I'm Adam, the director of Godspeed Los Polacos. Hey, I'm Sonia, the producer. Film is about the first ascent of the world's deepest canyon and how it intersects with the fall of the Soviet Union. I wanted to get started with learning a little bit about your guys' personal backgrounds. So not just like how you got into the story and the film and everything, but it's, you know, a film starring a bunch of Polish guys. And I know that we met in person, so I know you guys are Polish. So if you could just tell me a little bit about your background and maybe your family background and your film background. Adam and I both have parents who came to the U.S. from Poland to leave, escape from the Soviet Union to actually be able to have jobs and and live a life. They were not interested in staying there for the greatest of days. Um, So we're really tuned into the Polish-American community, especially in New Jersey. Yeah, so uh, this film for us was like an opportunity to kind of investigate that uh, era and, and time that they were you know, emigrating from. Um, but the way that I learned about the story is that one of our characters also ended up uh, emigrating to the, to New Jersey, specifically where, where our parents ended up. So there's like a Polish-American community here. And in that community, there's this infamous character, uh, Jurek Majerczyk, that kind of everyone's heard about. It's got a lot of tall tales. No one's like, everyone's like, what's, what's going on with that guy? He like, he's totally over the top. He's outrageous. He looks like... Uh, picture the clue board game colonel mustard he is like if he could be wearing a pith helmet all the time he would absolutely be wearing a pith helmet and carrying around his like safari gun and whatever (laughs) everywhere in fact when we were waiting for him at the airport at for the boulder international film festival we were telling our film liaison like you're gonna know it's him he's gonna come out in all safari garb like with his like you know hat and all this khaki stuff and like true to form like perfectly he came out like straight from peru (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i was always curious about because i heard that he had gone on these big expeditions and stuff but it was like never really entirely sure what was going on there but he knew me and my, and my family just because, like, he would invite us over for, like, barbecues in his backyard and whatever. So when I first approached him about making a film, like, he just associated me with this little kid that was running around his backyard. He's like, you can't make a movie. What are you talking about? And it took years of, like, convincing him and approaching him over and over again about it. Finally, he caved and, and let us do an interview. And initially, we thought we were just going to make a short film that was, like, 20 minutes or whatever and take us a few months to get through, you know, bring it to the festival circuit or whatever. But, like after that interview it took like four or five hours and we're like oh my god (laughs) we had kind of paced out the the the, like the structure we thought there's gonna be like six acts and like we got through act two or like the start of act two when we were already 20 minutes into the edit and we're like oh no (laughs) what have we done (laughs) yeah that was something that like when i was watching the film i went into it having no idea what he was even about and there was just so many layers. It was like one story after another. And I was like, how the heck? Like, it just keeps going and going. It's crazy. <laughs> You're right. There's like, there's so much. You couldn't possibly fit that in 20 minutes. There's no way. Yeah. And, and now, like, I mean, we really, like, if you had asked me what hell looked like 
uh, if like there's a personal hell, I'll be like, oh, it's editing feature length documentaries. Absolutely. <laughs> and so we were <laughs> pretty shocked when we kind of walked ourselves into that situation. And it, at, like there was like about six months uh, in the beginning of like when we started like diving into all the interviews, we were just like, oh, my God, like we just had to like step away from the project and be like, is this really what we're packing ourselves into? And and also like how to structure such an epic story with so many like tangents that go in different directions and bringing it back to the Colca, which was their like kind of, you know, crown jewel achievement, but also like how that intersects with the solidarity movement. I feel like we went through so many different versions of the structure and finally finding that back and forth pacing was like, okay. (laughs) We just couldn't afford an editor. There was like a moment where like I really wanted to bring someone on, but then like, you know, we called some people that figured out like how much it costs to bring on an editor. I'm like, well, we have zero dollars. So it was like really either <laughs> either we get an editor or we get an animator, and there was just like, but even, and and we didn't even really get an animator. I mean, we couldn't afford an animator or an editor. Yeah, <laughs> luckily we have some friends that draw. Yeah, so <laughs> we like to say that the, the kind of on this is the the expedition the team name in in the film. So we. And they pull everything off in a pretty aggressive DIY style. And, and we like to think that the film came together in a very similar and complimentary way. Um, for example, like we have a bunch of animated scenes in the film. And just because, you know, it's all archival and there's pieces of the story that are missing, we have to fill stuff in. But yeah, we, we there was no budget for an animator. But we, we knew some people who were, you know, brilliant illustrators, our friend uh, Maddie specifically, and... We brought her on board. I have some motion graphic skills, and we kind of figured out this system for how, like, she could draw things, or she would draw a guy, but his hand would be on a different layer, and then the background would be separate, and the car will be separate, and then I could bring it all into After Effects and move everything around, and and I think we came up with a solution that looks intentional, (laughs) but it's really just like a product of all of our limitations. (laughs) All the movements sort of in slow motion and stuff, just because like we didn't want to, we didn't have the time to animate any more keyframes, but like, uh, uh, you know, we kind of lean into it hard and I think it sells, (laughs) hopefully. Well, I made my first GIF yesterday, so how about Uh, that? (laughs) For a while, my phone was just like, images of Adam in different positions to like figure out what we wanted Maddie to draw so we just like send her like really terrible sketches and then like a picture of Adam like here's this guy like he's letting go of the rope (laughs) that's great um so I saw your guys's film at Mountain Film and it was so fun like I watched the film I had no idea what I was going to see I just knew that my boyfriend was projecting a film and I was like sure I'll come and it was so fun and I was like under the stars with the mountains and I saw Elon Musk's uh Starlink for the first time overhead during the film so it was very memorable um but then you guys did the Q&A after and talking about this process like you're saying like animation um but also archival footage which is there's a lot of it and you told this great story about finding it could you talk a little bit about how that ended up getting used in the film sure I think that when we first approached everyone about this film they didn't really understand what was going on like I mean maybe we didn't do a good job of pitching it to them but like they like they gave us like nothing they gave us like no materials and we we're like hey we'll take literally everything you have and they'll, be, they'll just send us some like low resolution photos that they found or whatever well i think part of them was like 
why should I invest any time or energy into this? Like, I don't know these people and I don't know that they're going to make anything worthwhile. So, you know, once we started like moving it along and we had a radio edit and like some some pieces to show them, they started like finding things in the basement. Like, oh, I just found this like giant Tupperware container filled with like pounds of slides. And we're like excuse me like where was this a year ago <laughs> three years ago it was like right like we were like six months away from like our like due date our end date and like we just got a treasure trove of tons of footage and i'm like where the hell has this all been and they're like well it's, you know it's a lot for you guys to look through we didn't want to give you too much work i'm like we were gonna animate all this stuff what the hell is wrong with you <laughs> well so our deadline was september 1st because we wanted to premiere at banff and like August 2nd or something, someone gave us like a VHS tape of like their actual March footage. And we were like, excuse me, <laughs> what? Oh, they were like, oh, yeah. And they're still telling us they've found more stuff. We're just like, keep, don't tell me. I'll be upset. Yeah, it's crazy. There's so much footage. And I cannot believe that you originally started this film without that. That blows my mind. It was funny because, yeah, it, like we really received the bulk of our materials in that last year of production. And this, uh, we're in the the room we did all the work in, and it was just like lined with just like old photos and films. And like I was developing old canisters to see if like something would come out of these like old film rolls they found that were like crumbling. Uh, and we just like had like four scanners going all the time. But uh, to not completely throw them under the bus, they did do a great job of documenting the actual expedition. Yeah. Uh, so Jacek was out there with his 16mm camera filming all the, like, the rivers they were going down. Zbigniew was out there taking photos. And so when we actually did find, like, we did get to the, the archives, it was super rich and there was a lot of great stuff in there, which was fun to use. And the guys like to remind us that all of the rapids on the videos are the easy ones because they're the ones that they could run a second time or, like, get the guy to jump on. So they're always like, yeah, that, you know, don't pay too much attention to that footage. (laughs) (laughs) The rapids were way bigger. (laughs) But the other interesting thing about the footage is that uh, during their expedition, they were sending footage back to Poland. It was part of the agreement that they had to, to leave the country to go on this expedition. And when things go sour with Poland, that footage just goes missing. They just lose it all. In and true Soviet style, they, like, erase your identity. And so, it's so wild. That accounts for some of the stuff we have to fill in with animation and, and you know, figure out other kind of useful tricks to, to kind of keep the story moving visually. So in addition to eventually learning that there's all this footage for you guys, what other... I mean, the story is like so incredibly adventurous, which is a really basic term, but it really is <laughs> like what other like stories as you were hearing them from these guys were you just like, what the heck? Like, what were some of the most like surprising moments or like, was, do you have any stories of like having a casual conversation with something that just blew your mind and someone just sitting there and being like, what <laughs> or anything like that? There's some stuff that doesn't make it into the film that, like, just because we couldn't really get to the bottom of it. There was some accounts of, like, certain members of the the greater expedition, the ten members of the expedition being, like, maybe being spies for the the Soviet, like... uh, Communist Party. Yeah, for the Communist Party. We weren't really able to get to the bottom of it, and some people didn't want to talk on, uh, on this topic, so it's not in the movie, but, like, that stuff I still wonder about today. I'm like, who, what the heck? 
Yeah. Some, I mean, other things that don't come across is just, like, the sheer amount of time this was. Like, they spend, like, multiple months in Ecuador, like, waiting for their vehicle to be released from customs because they, like, didn't pay something. And so they're just, like, sitting there, like, in limbo. All of it happens kind of quickly, but it's, like, three years. Yeah, the film that, like, you know, by necessity smooths out a lot of things to make it digestible, but it's it's just crazy. It's epic. And then if you consider, like, how many years they spent preparing for the expedition, it's like, this is all they thought about for a chunk of their lives. (laughs) Yeah. I'm wondering, too, I mean, the film is so fun, and you guys are, like, doing so much stuff. I'm wondering more stuff about that behind the scenes, like, your guys' partnership and relationship. Like, you guys are a filmmaking duo, so what does that look like for you guys? Like, how do you work together, and how do you kind of decide who's doing what and who, you know, what are each of your strengths? So, Sonia's doing a lot of the uh, producer side of things, like managing, like, I mean, a lot of this was trial by fire. We'd never made a feature-length documentary before, but, like, licensing all the archival, getting all the permissions, doing insurance, stuff like that, wrangling all these guys, like... And Adam's doing all the, like, technical, he's the editing, actually editing and shooting the materials. And I think we, I mean, for a while we had, like, a wall of, like, how to structure the the documentary and how to structure the story, and I think that just was, like, a long thought process. I mean, I'm always bouncing stuff off of you. Uh, Like, Sonia will do all the interviews uh, while I'm managing, like, the technical side of things. Sonia also did the storyboards and stuff, so... There's just like, I mean, we just kind of wear all the hats. <laughs> Pass the hats around. Yeah. And you were asking about like film background before, which I, I like, I come, I went to school for like urban planning. I did not come, go to school for, for filmmaking. So, but I do a lot of like managing uh, like large teams and coalitions in my day job. So, you know, a lot of the skills are, are really transferable. Are you trying to tell me you had a day job while shooting this? Oh, yeah. Sonia is a total masochist. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. My, my, like, vision of luxury is, like, one day just doing one of these without a day job. (laughs) And it's, like, not even... It's, like, a a 60-hour-a-week day job. (laughs) That's crazy. I had vacation time so we could focus on it in the last... (laughs) Yeah. How did you get into filmmaking, then? It was really like this story. We were like, oh, yeah, let, like, let's try to put this story together and see where it goes. And, you know, and it, it, was also, it was a bit bigger than we expected. Well, it was also like, because this is such a personal topic to us, and I think a large part of the reason that we got access to the story is because we are first-generation Americans. Like, Sonia was just like the, the perfect person for it, where she could speak to them in Polish. And, I mean, there was a lot of diplomacy that happened on the front end of this thing. It, it, access to one party doesn't mean access to the rest of them. So we had to like we had to convince many many uh, times like people to agree to be part of the project and stuff. So there was a lot of trust building, and I I do feel like these guys kind of feel like we're their adopted children now because <laughs> we are like similar ages to their kids, and we're Polish Americans, and so they're just like now they just call me whenever they're like Sonia, I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> How do I turn on my computer? (laughs) This contract, what does it mean? (laughs) 
I met you guys in person in Telluride and we were able to have lunch and we're chatting and I had gone on a hike, I think it was that day or the day before and seen people like base, I, I don't know what you call it, just cliff shuffling. They were like hooked yeah. in and like shuffling at the top of this thing. And me and my boyfriend were like, that was so crazy. We saw these people doing this insane thing and I can't even believe it. We were just, we thought we were adventurous, but we were just like on the actual ground and these people were way up there. And then you guys were like, oh yeah, we did that. And I was like, what? <laughs> and you're like, it's not even scary. Like it's as safe as driving a car. And I was like, I strongly <laughs> beg to differ. And then before we started this call, you were like telling me how you were ice climbing in Provo and shit. <laughs> like, so I see a lot of parallels between you guys and the people in your film. Was that like a huge draw to you as well? Or like what parallels were you feeling with them? Totally. I, we're both whitewater kayakers, uh, mountaineers, you know, climbers. I think the what Adam always likes to say is like, you know, he spent his prime years editing this documentary about these guys in their prime years doing a great adventure. <laughs> just like That's my total existential crisis. Can we just be there? Yeah, well that's I mean oh like gosh. I I really felt like I'm just withering away behind this computer while these guys are are doing an expedition that, you know, people are going to make movies about. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> Next project. I don't know if I, I no, I mean. Adam my, said no more archival docs, but now I feel like we know what we're doing. But I'm so tortured because all my ideas are archival docs. It's just like, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> You're a lot in life. I think that's like the, the layer of this being like a Polish story, but also an adventure story. Like it, it really was the perfect story for us to, to explore. Yeah. I'm just curious to hear some of your guys' stories about this kind of stuff. Like, what are some of your fun, like, favorite things that you've done, like climbing or rafting or? Sure. So actually, in between uh, Telluride, where we saw you, and uh, the Boulder International Film Festival, like a month later, I was in Alaska for that month, uh, doing some technical climbing in Denali National Park. Uh, some of the sub peaks that, you know, Denali... A thousand people land on the glacier every year to climb the tallest peak in North America. And they, for the most part, ignore everything else in the park. And so we went there with the intention of climbing all these cool sub peaks that people kind of just like walk right by and don't pay a second uh, mind to. Um, so that was a really fun one that just happened recently. I think a really fun trip we went on to make this documentary was Adam at the time had a van. And so we just took that van. We drove it across the country. We went to Banff. We went to the Bugaboos. We went to Squamish. And then on our way back, we like kind of did a bunch of interviews uh, with the guys. And so that, that whole journey was like a month of just like having a lot of fun, but then like thinking about the story and, and yeah. interviewing the guys. Because the guys live all across the country, so like it actually really helped to be living in a van. <laughs> I love that. I love that you guys do all that stuff. I am like an amateur version of you guys, but I do love being outdoors and doing stuff as much as possible. But I went whitewater rafting for the first time like three years ago, and I haven't been since, unfortunately. But I went with my sister, and it was so fun. I was so scared. I have like this irrational fear of drowning, even though I'm a good swimmer. It makes really no sense. But so I had put off rafting. So I was just like, I don't want to deal with it. I'm too scared. And then I got in the boat with my sister and we were like, so fucking good at it. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I was like, it just yeah. like clicked. And I was like, oh, 
we're like, we were just hauling ass like down this river. We were on the Wolf River in Wisconsin. It was so fun. We went with like our cousins and we like all split up into pairs and we were like, just smoked the rest of our family. And we were like, huh. <laughs> Hell yeah. All you right. gotta go back. Yeah. yeah. In the future. So I was inspired watching your film. I was like, oh man, I really want to get back out there. It was a it's- good challenge. Yeah. One of one of our film subjects actually decided that he was going to give us three of his kayaks recently. So we now have nine kayaks in our house. Holy shit. In New Jersey? <laughs> yeah. Your name on it. I'm trying to think of anything funny that happened at Boulder. Well, it was cool to just like see the whole gang back together. I think it was like the first time. Like our film has brought the group back together for the first time in a long time. Oh, really? Uh, That's cool. Yeah, it was cool to see them all together, and, like, it seems like the film is... Trying to mend some relationships, (laughs) (laughs) to put it diplomatically. Also, I guess it's cool to say that the film has really... You know, it came out last year, but it's really, like, getting attention this year, which is the 40th anniversary of their Colca Canyon journey, and and so they're, they're planning some big gatherings later in this year to like celebrate that so it's cool that this film can be a part of that that's awesome yeah the last thing I was gonna ask about was just like I know you guys have been playing festivals lately and you've won some awards so if you wanted to talk about that um and just you've been like super lucky to get some in-person screenings now which is really exciting and like what that's been like yeah, that's been tremendous. We've been targeting mostly the, the mountain film uh, festival circuit, and that was largely by design. I think the entire time we were working on the film, we kind of made the the film with the intention of playing it at Banff. Like, that's all I was thinking about while making it. Um, and we premiered there, and we won uh, Best Documentary Feature there, uh, which was huge. Like, that was, like, the most life-affirming thing ever, because I felt like I've been... I don't know, I feel like I've been a part of, like, this mountain film, like, world for a long time, but, like, I never really had anything to show for it. I had a lot of opinions about stuff, but, like, I don't know, like, I never, like, I felt like I dedicated so much of my life to that, whatever that is, but, like, I never really could point at anything, and and being recognized there was huge for me. I was like, boom. Yeah, it it was... A teeny bit of a bummer to find out via email, but <laughs> you know it still happened. It was really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so we're yeah we're super psyched to not having done a good amount of virtual festivals and uh, now being able to do some in person stuff. It's it's so much better it, to be in person. <laughs> and, and Mountain Film was an awesome like first experience to like hear everyone's opinions and hear people laugh and stuff. But at Boulder, we were in a smaller theater because they were like less COVID restrictions than mountain film had. And like, we could actually hear like all of the laughter and like the people being like, what? Or like whatever. And, and that was so cool to hear. Cause you know, you're always surprised by what different audiences react to. And we're even like, should we change some parts of the movie? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there's, there's jokes that we always laugh at that like are kind of get missed by the audience. But then there's parts of the movie that I didn't think were that funny that people are consistently laughing at. And it was tough making a movie during the pandemic because we didn't get that feedback. I mean, normally you'd want to do some screenings with groups of people. And we were sending it out, you know, links out and like talking to people via Zoom. But like, 
I think that that is worthwhile feedback that we kind of missed out on. But, you know, it's been a blessing and a curse. I think if there wasn't a pandemic, we would never have finished this movie potentially. So yeah, we'll take it. For sure. That's what I've heard from a lot of filmmakers the last couple of months that like the good thing about it is that they got time to like be in their homes 24 seven and just like hammer away on edits that wouldn't necessarily have gotten done otherwise. And honestly, we were so deep in the edit cave when the pandemic first happened that we didn't even really realize the world had ended. Like we were already in there. And then this was just like, it, like people just stopped trying to hang out with us. So that was it, was, it was kind of a shock when we emerged in September and we were like, wait, no one can hang out. <laughs> yeah, the world is, is very different. <laughs> Um, you guys have like touched on different ways, like Sonia, especially you, like this being your first like real big film project, like ways that you've grown and learned, but can you talk about some of the things that like mistakes maybe you made that you will never do again, or like things that you're excited to do differently? I mean, personally, the licensing, like, I wish I understood anything about that when I started and just fair use. I wish we had money for an attorney up front, like, doing that initial review of stuff. Even if I just, like, had realized that you can't use, you can't claim fair use for anything that's B-roll, like, that would have changed my life three years ago. <laughs> I had never shot interviews that were, like, four or five hours long. And so, like, I would light something, not that the cinematography in this movie is anything to write home about, but... I would light it and it would look fine when we started, but like four hours later, the window in the background now has like light blasting through it and everything is a complete mess. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I think we would have definitely like rented better cameras instead of using oh my God. a Mark II. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe I was so stingy about like all the equipment rentals at the time. The other big mistake, I, I don't even know that this is a mistake, but we flew to Peru. <laughs> to get a bunch of b-roll and like we went to the colca canyon and we visited all the spots and we use maybe nine seconds not even not it's, even it's, it's, it's it, the only time we use any of that footage we got all this footage because we thought we were going to need all the supplemental b-roll because we didn't have all these archives that we later got uh so we just shot like landscapes and whatever and the only time we use any of that footage is on the tv set in the big, very beginning of the film and that's it <laughs> and it's also played through the tv so it looks extra crappy and we definitely could have just like <laughs> licensed whatever for 50 bucks <laughs> um. but that, the fun thing about those tv shots is that we it's all played on the tv practically and it's like in post so we, we had an hdmi to rca to coaxial conversion and it's it's super surreal when you see your desktop like like uh icons on like a crt tv <laughs> that would be that was gonna be my laptop from now on i think the perennial lesson of my life has been buy nice or buy twice <laughs> and equipment rentals definitely fall under this category yeah for sure. It's, yeah, it's interesting when people go through this process and you think that you're going to grow in all these other ways and it ends up being like these really detailed things, like what you're saying, like paperwork. <laughs> you're like, that's what I learned. That would have made my life better. But, and the, I feel like that translates to so many things that people do, like no matter what your job is, like all these really kind of boring, tedious things are what you learn. Well, that's like, that's the real minutia of like, because you can make shorts forever and never have to worry about any of like this crap. 
But, like, as soon as you're going into feature world, like, there's just so much crap you have to deal with. I will also say I, we ran a Kickstarter campaign to make this happen, so we learned a lot <laughs> on that end, too. Um, and, like, we're just super grateful for all our friends and family that, like, chipped in to make this happen. Did you get a lot of backing from that local Polish community that you were talking about and support? Not necessarily financial, but, like, excitement? Yeah, I think, I, and I think the, the Polish people that do watch it are, like, super proud of that whole adventure and the time. And so they're just, they get really excited and emotional when they watch it. Yeah, well, speaking of that, like, where is it playing next? And what do you guys see as its continued trajectory? We have a small theatrical run uh, happening in August. Uh, and so that's, a, like, art house theaters and kind of mountain towns and stuff like that. And then we are releasing with uh, 1091 digitally on September 21st. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can follow Godspeed Los Polacos on social media, and the film is coming out in various states this August. So go check them out and see if the film is playing in a theater near you. If you love this podcast and want to support, be sure to check out our new Instagram page at Pod. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends and family about it. Send them a link. Tell them what episode you think they'd really like to get them started. Thank you guys so much for your support and for listening. The music is Lost and Bound by Talon Kali. The podcast artwork is by Whitney Salgado. And I'm your host, Don Borchardt.